Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to ask you to take it and open it to Romans chapter 12 for this morning's message and for our time together. And if you don't have the Bible with you, that's okay. We'll have the words on the screen in just a moment. If you're joining us for the first time today, we have been over the last month now going through a sermon series entitled One Another. One Another. And through this series, we're looking at what God calls us to do and how we relate with one another, how we live with one another, how we uh, care for one another. But I think it's important for us to remember at all times, the basis for everything that we're studying in this one another series is what God calls us first to do in the context of a relationship with him. Jesus was one day asked, master, teacher, tell us what is the greatest commandment? Of course, at that time, the Pharisees, by their own rules, had 613 laws by which they tried to live. So tell us, Jesus, here's the trick question, what is the greatest and most important? And Jesus looked back at them and he said this, here's the greatest commandment. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, the greatest commandment is to have a love for God and a relationship with him at all times. Please understand this morning that God so loves us that even while we had sinned against him, even though we'd all fallen short of his glory, God so greatly loves us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die a death on a cross that he did not deserve. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was spotless. We, on the other hand, were full of sin, full of iniquity. We had all transgressed. We had all broken God's law. But God, in great grace and mercy, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And all who believe in him today experience the joy of forgiveness and the joy of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus died, he was buried, he was put into a borrowed tomb, three days later rose again from the grave, and now today, eternal life is offered to all who believe. This morning, I wanna encourage you to be reminded, you can know God, you can have a relationship with God, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can know God personally by believing in Jesus. But the Bible tells us the moment we believe in Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, not only are we forgiven, not only are we cleansed, not only are we set free from the eternal punishment of our sin, but we are also beautifully adopted into the family of believers. And what that means is this, at the moment you begin a relationship with God through faith, we also begin to have a relationship with one another. We literally, the Bible says in this familial picture, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are brought together, we are merged into one body through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But how are we to live today? How are we to live when we come from different backgrounds and experiences? How are we to live when we've got different personalities, we've got different likes and preferences? How are we to live in unity when literally we are in even different locations? Some of us are here in the worship center right now. Some of us are watching on the screen in the community life center across the sidewalk. Some of us are in homes and in other places all throughout the valley and some who are watching from other states. How can we live in unity in such a trying and challenging time? I believe God shows us in Romans chapter 12 the next component of that one another that he's called us to. 
We've been reminded of the importance of loving one another. We've been reminded of the importance of serving one another. We've also been reminded of the importance of admonishing one another. Can I say to you this morning, I believe what God is calling us to recognize today is that next calling, and that is this. We are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We are called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Fact of the matter is this morning, I cannot think of a greater subject for us to study in this time, in this hour, than the focus at hand today. Now, this message today is a little different than last week. There are parts of that message that might have been difficult to hear and and certainly to apply. In this message today from Romans chapter 12, it's not very difficult to preach it. And frankly, you're probably not going to hear something today that you're going to come away with and think, man, I've never heard that before. That's brand new truth to me. But I'm convinced today, more often than not, what we need is not a new truth but a renewed commitment to the truth that God has already revealed. I don't know that there is a more basic instruction of all the one another's than the instruction that we see in Romans chapter 12 to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And yet at the same time in my life, I don't know if there's ever been a more pressing time where we needed to heed this instruction to be devoted to one another. We live in a world today We live in a country today that is so greatly divided. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of financial uncertainty, in the midst of political back and forth from every single angle and every situation, I'm afraid today that much of the world looks at the church and frankly, they see no difference in the church and the world around them. The same hatefulness that we see is found in the church. The same lack of listening or understanding, the same lack of consistency and continual hypocrisy. The lost world will look and they see no difference in us than those who are literally around them. But for the believer, God has called us to love like Jesus and to live like him in the world around us. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you what? If you have love for one another. Romans chapter 12, I believe God is calling us to get back to the basics and to understand and apply what it means to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. If you have your Bibles today, or of course the words on the screen, let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. These are simple words of instruction. At first glance, it might seem that Paul's just giving a bunch of random words of instruction, but in each of these verses, there's a key thought and then complementary phrases to support it. Listen to what he says in verse nine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and finally, practicing hospitality. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the time that we have together here today. Thank you for the freedom that we have to read your word today. I pray, God, that our hearts 
and our minds, our literally our innermost being today would be open to you. God, through the Holy Spirit, would you speak your word into each of our lives? Convict us where it's needed. Direct us where it's needed. Break us where it's needed. Transform us and change us today so that we might know you and we might reflect you to the world around us. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Being devoted to one another in brotherly love. It's interesting to me that of all the one another's that we continue to study today, every single one of them, once again, find their basis in this simple instruction to love one another. In fact, verse nine starts off the same way. Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, let it be authentic and genuine. It shouldn't be fake. It shouldn't be like putting on a mask. It shouldn't be put on at all. No, let love be genuine. Fact of the matter is this morning, it's easy to say that we love somebody. It's easy to say that we love a brother or sister in Christ. It's easy to say that we care. And then at the same time, turn around and be quick to judge and quick to criticize and quick to gossip. And what God is saying is this, no, let your brotherly love, let your love for God and your love for others be real and let it be authentic. Let it be literally the pure love of God that transforms your life and then radiates through your life to minister to others. It's on that basis that the Apostle Paul says, so abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. It's this whole picture here that if we truly have a love for God, we will have a love for others, which will cause us to war against any selfish tendencies of sin, but instead looking out for the good of others, looking for ways to bless others. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That statement is so simple. The idea of brotherly love is not difficult to envision. And yet it is so difficult for us to apply. And I would suggest that phrase alone is a challenge for us for two primary reasons. First is the phrase, be devoted to one another. That phrase devoted, that word literally means to be dedicated, to be consecrated, and to be set apart for a particular purpose. Fact of the matter is this morning, we don't typically like to be dedicated in certain areas of our life. Now, we don't have a problem dedicating to something that is trivial or something that in the grand scheme of things is not all that important and certainly things that are not eternal. For example, by a show of hands, how many of you have a favorite sports team that you follow and keep up with and you have for a long time? Anybody like that before? Well, we don't have a hard time dedicating ourselves to a sports team. We will be true fans. We won't be bandwagoners, no. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, a good season or a bad season, we are in it. We're in it for the long haul. In fact, sometimes I look at certain sports fans like Cowboys fans and I wonder how they do it, but they seem to be able to manage year to year. Of course, Cowboy fans, well, I'd say they're just thankful they're not Washington football team fans, but either way, The fact of the matter is, we don't have a problem dedicating ourselves to things that are trivial and things that don't matter in the grand scheme of life. I'm reminded of the illustration one day of a man who had been on a diet for several months. He'd lost a lot of weight and he was doing really well. And one day he showed up home from work at the end of his shift. And when he walked into the door, his wife opened the door to welcome him in. And he had both hands full of these massive donuts and he had glaze on the side of his face. And she said, honey, what in the world? You've been doing so good. What happened? He said, well, there was an accident on the interstate. I took another route home and I realized on my way home, I was passing our favorite donut shop. 
But he said, sweetheart, I want you to know it's okay. I prayed about it. I prayed about it. She said, what do you mean you prayed about it? He said, absolutely. I pulled into the parking lot and I prayed, God, if it's your will for me to get a donut, if it's your will for me to stop, would you open up a parking space right there on the front row? And he said, hey, I want you to know I prayed about it. And the eighth time through the parking lot, God opened a spot right there in the front. We don't have a problem dedicating ourselves to things that ultimately don't matter in the grand scheme of things. But let me ask you a question. Are you dedicated when it comes to your relationships with others? Are you dedicated in the context of your marriage? Are you dedicated in the context of your relationships with brothers or sisters in Christ? Are you dedicated when it comes to the church or instead at the first sign of trouble and the first sign of difficulty and the first sign of disagreement and the first sign of offense? Are you looking for the easy way out? Paul says, be devoted to one another. That flies in the face of our culture that frankly wants to quickly get offended and quickly look for the easy way out, put myself before what God is calling me to do. But God says, be devoted to one another. It's a challenge for us today. But the second part of that is an equally challenging statement. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The phrase that's used here for brotherly love literally means ardent love or affection. It is attachment manifested by constant attention. In fact, so strong is the verbiage here that in some translations it literally just says, so be kindly affectionate to one another. Are you devoted to that? In the body of Christ, are you attentive to your relationships with others? Are you seeking for ways to, to build bridges? Are you seeking for ways to show love and to show warmth and to show support and to show affection for one another? What Paul is envisioning here is literally a family relationship, and that's a struggle for us. Because many of us in our culture come from very challenging backgrounds with our families and much unhealth and much stress and chaos along the way. But God is calling us, even still in 2020, to make sure we're devoted to one another in brotherly love and affection for each other. Well, how do we do that? Is God just saying that when trials come, we need to hug it out? Some would say, I hope not. No, God has much to say about it, and I believe he tells us four things in Romans chapter 12 that are so important if we are going to devote ourselves to brotherly love. Four things I want you to see. Number one, if we are gonna be devoted to one another in brotherly love, please understand we must be devoted to one another in our thinking. Right living always begins with right thinking. Right living always begins with the right thinking. And so the Bible says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Next statement, give preference to one another in honor. We understand this idea of giving preference. Giving preference has to do with how we view others and then out of that, how we treat others. The idea of giving preference literally is that we are putting others before ourselves. Illustrate that for just a moment. You might have maybe remember many, many years ago when you were a toddler. Or maybe you're a parent and you've had a toddler that you've been raising or you have a niece or a nephew that you love to visit with. And you know when they're a toddler, man, they are so sweet and wonderful and even angelic it would seem. And then the next moment something happens and they get upset and the angelic nature kind of fades off pretty quickly, right? It's hard to teach a toddler how to share. But even more so than sharing, it seems at times almost impossible to teach a, a toddler how to put the needs of another before themselves. 
It's hard to teach a toddler how to not only be able to share, but literally be willing to give the best to someone else to give preference. And the fact of the matter is many times in our spiritual walk with the Lord, yes, we might say we love the Lord and we might strive to be kind to each other. But the fact is some of us stay in spiritual infancy because we continually put ourselves first. Literally, God speaks through Paul and he says, be devoted to one another. Here's the first way you do that, by giving preference to one another in honor. The picture here is literally of how we view others, how we think of others, and how we therefore put them before ourselves. In other words, how we think about others will determine how we treat others. Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs 23, verse 7. It reminds us that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So clearly does our thinking impact our relationship with each other. Paul has much to say about it. In fact, Romans chapter 12, you cannot talk about Romans chapter 12 without talking about the importance of our mind and our thinking. Look with me at Romans chapter 12, verses two through three. Remember, Paul has just said, I urge you brothers by the mercies of God to present your entire body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. But now listen to Paul's use of the word mind and the word think. Listen to this, verse two. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now pause for just a moment. What Paul is saying is this. The world is constantly trying to press you, constantly trying to get you to conform to its image and to conform to its mindset. What does the world say? Here's what the world says. It says, get, get, get. The world says, it's all for me. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I need. But what God says is this, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What God is describing here is a picture where we are getting in God's word and we're reading God's word and we're letting God's word get into our mind and we're letting God's word be in our heart where God's word becomes a thing that we meditate on and God's word becomes the things that we ponder on, that God's word becomes a thing that we think about. So often in our culture right now, the things that we're talking about and thinking about are sports, or we're talking about the weather, or we're talking about the pandemic, or we're talking about the business, or we're talking about the stock market, or we're talking about the political campaign, we're talking about the debate, we're talking about the fly on the guy's head. And what God is saying, no, 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 child, wake up. These things don't last. This world is temporary. It'll all be gone, but my word will last forever. Let my word get in your mind. Let my word get in your heart because my word will transform you by the renewing of your mind. God is wanting us to be so filled with his word that we will begin to see things through the lens of him and not through our own. So God says, listen, you got to be thinking right. There is no way you're going to live right if you're not thinking right. And part of that thinking has to do with the way that we think of others and give preference to one another. So clear was this, the context of this, that in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, Paul goes on to say it this way. So be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Some of us are so caught up in our own thinking, in our own mindset, that we've become so wise in our own estimation that our thinking is more like the devil than it is of Jesus. 
What does Jesus' mind look like? Philippians chapter 2, Pastor Scott read it a moment ago, didn't he? The mind of Christ looks like humility, grace, mercy, and compassion. The mind of Christ literally looks like the one who would lay down his life for us, obedient unto death, even death on a cross. No wonder Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We're not going to be devoted to one another in brotherly love unless we have the mind of Christ in our thinking. Secondly, if we're going to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, it must begin in our thinking. But secondly, being devoted to one another should also take place in our serving. In our serving. Being devoted to one another in, in brotherly affection here and brotherly love here, it's not just speaking of the way that we shake hands or pat each other on the back or in this day, give a chicken wing, okay? It's not someone's talking about necessarily. What God is describing here is such a love for God and a love for one another that it demonstrates itself not in the way that we think about each other, but also practically in the way that we serve one another. Let me ask you a question. Are you serving one another? Are you serving others in the body of Christ? Romans chapter 12, the very next statement, verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I've said it a million times here before, but the simple reality is this. We are never more like Jesus than when we are giving ourselves for the glory of God and the good of others. Paul says it loud and clear. Here's what this brotherly devotion looks like. It looks like faithful service to the Lord. Remember Jesus modeled this for us. Mark chapter 10, we were told just a few weeks ago that Jesus said in verses 43 through 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians chapter two tells us right after we're called to have the mind of Christ, right after that, it tells us how he demonstrated that. What did he do? He stretched out his arms, he gave his life sacrificially, he took on the form of a servant and he died on the cross for our sins. When I think about the example of Jesus and what it means to serve, I cannot help but to think of John chapter 13 as Jesus has gathered together with those disciples. They've walked through the streets of Jerusalem. They've gathered there in that room and their feet are as filthy as they can be. They're all looking around like, who's gonna wash our feet? This is, this is disgusting. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, the Lord and master, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he took off his coat, grabbed a towel, grabbed a basin of water, and he humbly washed the filthy feet of those disciples. So clear and so compassionate and merciful was his example of service. Think of this for a moment. He washed the filthy feet of the very one in Peter who would deny him. Well, I serve those who serve me. Jesus served them all. He washed the feet of the very one who would betray him. And he washed the feet of the very one who would doubt him in Thomas. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying to you this morning that if the Lord Jesus Christ will humble himself and wash the stinky feet of those disciples, if the Lord Jesus Christ would literally humble himself, take on the form of a servant and give his life on the cross for your sins and mine, sins he never committed, things that he didn't deserve, if he would willingly do that for us, then surely there's nothing that we would be unwilling to do for him. Surely if he was willing to give his very life on the cross for our good, then there is nothing that we should be unwilling to give for the glory of God and the good of others. 
Romans chapter 12, the entire context in verses three through eight is God talking about spiritual gifts and how God's given these gifts of service and of administration and of teaching and of giving. He's given all these gifts for the purpose of of blessing one another and building up the body of Christ. But then Paul tells us two kind of complimentary statements about this serving, doesn't he, in verse 11. He says, not lagging behind in diligence and fervent in spirit. Please understand, in our serving, listen to this, we should be diligent in our serving. We should be diligent in our serving. The word for diligence here literally means intentional, eager, and zealous. The synonym that was often used for this word in that culture would be described in our day as hardworking. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you eager and zealous about serving the Lord? Are you eager and zealous? Are you chomping at the bits? Are you you ready to move forward? Are you excited to serve God? The fact of the matter is we must not get lazy in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58 says it this way. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable. I love this statement. Always, somebody say always. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Read that verse again. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Is there an asterisk there that says, but during a pandemic, it's okay to excuse this verse. Always abounding in the work of the Lord when it's convenient. Always abounding in the work of the Lord when it's easy. Always abounding in the work of the Lord when, when, it, when it's not an election year and there's all sorts of strife and confusion and all sorts of agendas here and there. Always No, it simply says always abounding in the work of the Lord. Brings up a question, doesn't it? Are we abounding in the work of the Lord? Are you eager and zealous about serving him? Let me illustrate, I don't know, probably a month ago now, we had a sister in Christ in this church who reached out to me. And I'm very well aware of who this sister is. And in recent months, our pastors and I, every Monday afternoon and many of our Thursday morning gatherings, we've prayed for all the needs within our church family, but we've prayed for this sister by name on multiple occasions. Her health has not been very good. In fact, through this pandemic, her health has been so poor that, um, and her immune system has so many challenges that her doctor literally has advised her not to go in public at all. So she may be watching right now and she's not able to be with us physically in the building like many of us are today. She reached out to me a little over a month ago and she said, Pastor, I need to talk with you. And, and I have to just, just be honest when I tell you that when, when she reached out, my first thought was that there is likely another health concern that she would share with me that we could be praying about together as our pastors when we meet. And so I just kind of assumed she's reaching out for that purpose. There's another health concern that we need to be praying about. But when I was able to get back to her, she said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. And I said, absolutely, what can we pray about? And she said, I am so grieved right now. I'm just so, so grieved. My, my heart is broken right now. And I'm, and I'm wondering, is there anything I do? And I said, well, what's the problem? She said, here's the problem. Do you know how many months it's been since I've been able to serve the Lord? And I, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. She said, she said I, I need you to help me think. Is there any way, I, I know I'm in my apartment. I know that I'm, I'm kind of homebound in this situation. I can't go in public, but is there any way I can serve? Is there anything you can think of that I can do? Is there any way that I can be a blessing to you or the pastors or the church body? Is there any way I can serve? In other words, an individual who has a diligence to serve is not looking for excuses to get out of it. 
with an eager and a zeal. They are hungry. Is there any way I can bless the body of Christ? Is there any way I can support a brother or sister? Is there anything at all that I can do? We must be diligent in our serving or else, what does the Bible say? Or else we will be lagging behind. We will be lagging behind in diligence, so to speak. I remember a little over a year ago now, there were some gentlemen here in the community that um, I had the blessing to, to go to the gym with in the mornings a few days a week, and we'd work out. And honestly, it became a time of just fellowship and encouragement, accountability, and all those things. And I enjoyed the fellowship. And these guys have been working out for a long time. I was kind of the, the rookie in the room. And one day they asked me, hey, would you go to us? We go to this other gym every so often, and, and we'd like you to go with us. And so I agreed to do it. I didn't know the details. I just showed up one day. I walk into the gym, and then these guys tell me, now listen, it's going to be a 50-minute workout, and it's going to be intense, but you got this. We know you can handle it. And I'm looking at the equipment and I'm looking at the coach and I'm thinking, oh Lord, what have I got myself into? First five minutes, I'm warming up. I'm feeling good about it. The next five minutes, I'm doing pretty good. 15 minutes in, I feel great about it. I mean, 20 minutes in, I'm like, man, I totally got this. 25 minutes. By the time I hit the 30 minute mark, I don't know if you've ever hit a wall, but I hit what you call a wall. And I'm telling you from 30 minutes to 31 minutes, I was sitting there thinking like, I literally, I was telling myself in my mind, don't die, don't die, don't die. But I'm literally, by 35 minutes, I'm like, my manhood is on the line. I have to finish this thing. But you know what I noticed those final 20 minutes? Those final 20 minutes, I was sucking wind and I was falling behind. Why? Because I was not in shape like these other guys. Spiritually, for many of us, our lack of diligence in serving the Lord is demonstrating to us that we are not in shape. And we need to be disciplined. We must be diligent in our serving. But secondly, I love this, we should be fervent in our serving. What does he say? He says, literally, verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit. I love this picture, literally the word fervent here. It means boiling over. It's the idea of a pot. You got water in that pot and you put it on the boil. And what happens over time? Those bubbles boil up, they boil up. And after a time, they boil over. The picture here is of a passion. Are you passionate about serving? Are you passionate about serving one another? Are you passionate about using your gifts and your abilities and the breath and the life that God gave you to serve? Are you passionate about it? This past week, God gave me an illustration of this. I, I met with a local businessman here in this community. He does not live here. He owns a business here, and he owns businesses really all over the country. He lives in Pennsylvania. And so I met with him. We had heard of each other in some different ways. And so we talked about the Lord and talked about different things. And I shared with him at the end. I said, now listen, if you're in town this weekend, we would love to have you join us at Crosslink on Sunday. To which he said to me, his words were this. Man, thank you for the invitation, but I can't be here on Sunday. His words, I get the privilege of being at my home church this Sunday. Now to be clear, not everybody talks about going to church as their privilege. But he did. It struck my attention. And I said, man, I love the way you said that. Why do you say it that way? And he said, honestly, because I love what I get to do at my church. And I said, well, what do you do? He said, I serve. I said, well, how do you serve? His exact words. He said, I get to run the golf cart ministry. I said, well, what is that? He said, literally every Sunday morning, I, I get to lead the team of people in golf carts. We go to the ends of the parking lot. We pick people up and then I bring them in. I said, well, I'd love that too. That sounds fun. He said, well, that's not why I love it. I said, why do you love it? He said, because here's what I get to do. Before people ever step foot into the building, I get to ask them, how can I pray for you? 
He said, you won't believe the number of people that'll tell me about this surgery that's coming up, this loved one that is sick, this situation that's going on. He said, literally before they even walk into the door, I get to serve God and I get to pray with them and I get to encourage them and I get to bless them. It's awesome. I'm sitting in this man's office realizing how greatly blessed God has blessed this man with businesses all over the country. He's the owner of the whole thing and he's looking at me and saying, I can't wait to serve the Lord in that golf cart on Sundays. You know what he was describing without even realizing it? He has such a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, he cannot wait for the opportunity to serve the body of Christ. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had that same passion to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? After all, when we serve others, who are we really serving? Verse 11, he says, serving the Lord. Third thing I want you to see this morning, if we're gonna be devoted to one another in brotherly love, we should be devoted in our thinking, we should be devoted in our serving, and third, we should be devoted in our praying. I won't spend a ton of time here because Lord willing, we'll unpack this more here in the coming days. But what is the Paul's next statement, verse 12? Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Part of our devotion to one another in the body of Christ is not merely to say good morning on Sundays. It's not merely to say, have a great week this week. It's not merely to pat each other on the back. No, it is to be in such fellowship with one another that we care for one another, we bear one another's burdens, and we intercede for one another through prayer. You cannot read about the early church without reading of their vital devotion to prayer. Acts chapter one, verse 14, for example, the Bible tells us that the early church, the disciples, they had all gathered together, uh, rather, and, and the Bible says this, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts two, verse 42, the early church is happening. 3,000 souls have been saved on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says they were gathered together, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Where did the early church learn this? Where did the disciples learn this? This is not some man-made movement. This was the pattern and the example that they saw in Jesus. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So he modeled it for us. And he instructed us to be praying. In fact, ultimately, prayer is God's appointed way to converse with him and to intercede for others. The question for us is, how are we doing that? Now, once again, Paul gives us two complimentary statements about this devotion to prayer. First is the statement, rejoicing in hope. As we pray for one another, as we intercede for one another, As we go before God in prayer, God is showing us a component of that is we will be able to rejoice in hope. Now, now I can't speak for you this morning, but I can tell you when you look at the world around us, there's not a lot of things to be hopeful about. I I mean, turn on the news this week and I'm just telling you, it's going to bless you and fill you with all kinds of joy. Not likely. And yet in the midst of the craziness of the world and the brokenness of the world and all the confusing things around us, the Bible says, listen, you can rejoice in hope. How? Here's one of the key ways, through prayer. Well, how does prayer affect our hope? Here's how. 
Remember, Jesus taught the disciples to pray. By the way, it's interesting to note that Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but he did teach them how to pray. That should tell us something about the importance of prayer. And here's the other beauty of it. You might think, well, I can never serve the Lord in this way. I can never be on this stage. I can never do that. But you can pray. Jesus taught them to pray. What's the first word of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm telling you this morning, if you can understand the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, I'm telling you, it will bring you to a place of rejoicing and hope. If you can come before God the Father and say, our Father, pause for just a moment. The God that we know and that we serve and that we pray to is not a God. He is the God. He is the living God of heaven. And because of his grace and mercy towards us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he's made a way for us to be forgiven. He's made a way for us to be saved. We're no longer enemies, the Bible says. If you believe in Jesus Christ, literally we are now friends of God. We are now children of God. We've been brought into his family. And so when we come before him, we can cry out, our father who's in heaven it speaks of his position. It speaks of his authority. Great, So great is his majesty and authority that the Bible describes it this way, that the earth is his footstool. Anybody ever been to every country in the world? Probably not. The entire earth is God's footstool. I don't know about you, but when my problems are great and many, when I see all the chaos and confusion in the world, it helps me to remember that my father has got it all under his feet. Our father who art in heaven, it's speaking of the greatness and the power, the majesty of God. Hallowed be your name. It's saying, God, your name is great. Your name is greatly to be praised. Your name alone is worthy. Your name is above it all. Friend, I'm telling you that when we go through these trials and difficulties, circumstances and storms, when we go through a pandemic, when we go through all the issues of the day, it is helpful to us to know in prayer that we are approaching the living God of heaven. And when we look to him, when we get our eyes on him, when we fix our, our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it gives us hope because this world's not our home. This craziness and this brokenness and all the challenge of the day, these things won't last forever. Not does it give us hope, but the Bible says we begin to rejoice in hope. Not do we rejoice in hope, but there's a second component of that prayer, isn't there? That is this, that we will persevere in tribulation. We'll persevere in tribulation. We rejoice in hope because we are trusting in him and we depend upon him in prayer. We get only what God can do. But the second component of this prayer is that we will persevere in tribulation. We don't persevere by just, you know, putting our nose down, putting our hands to the grind and pressing through. That might work for a little while, but it won't last forever. We persevere in prayer. Paul understood that. As Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, he knew the circumstances and the trials they were going to endure. He knew that the Bible said, he literally told them, grievous wolves are going to come into the church and they're going to try to, to persecute you and destroy you and scatter you. But here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 1. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. What's he saying? He's saying, church at Ephesus, I know the days are tough. I know the challenges are many. I know that there's great persecution. I know that people are rejecting you. I know that people are mocking you. I know that they're dragging you off into the prisons, but I want you to know God is still in control and I'm praying for you. 
By the time he gets to the end of the book in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, here's what he encouraged them to do. Here's what he said. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, Christian, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Child of God, recognize that prayer is the means that you have to converse with God, but it's also the means that you have to intercede for others. So be on the alert, be watchful, be so involved with the lives of your Christian family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. I know the world's trying to tell you apart, but I'm telling you to come back together. I know the world's trying to divide you by this party and that party, but I'm telling you to come together. I know the world's trying to get you to be filled with hatred and animosity and, and anxiety and fear, but I'm telling you, come together and pray for one another and be attentive to one another so that you might grow in the Lord and have perseverance. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, true Christian fellowship is much more than a pat on the back or a handshake. It means sharing the burdens and the blessings of others so that we all grow together and glorify the Lord. Final thing I want you to see is this. If we're going to be devoted to one another and brotherly love, it happens in our thinking. It happens in our serving. It happens through our praying. And finally, it happens through our giving. Be devoted to one another in your giving. Very next statement, verse 13. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. We'll talk about hospitality, Lord willing, in the coming weeks, but for now I want us to focus on that statement, contributing to the needs of the saints. The world says, get, get, get. What does God say? God says, give. Give. God says to be aware of the needs around you and for the glory of God and the good of others to give. Christ's nature within us continually calls us to give for the glory of God and for the good of others. In fact, did you know that according to James chapter two, it's easy for us to say we believe. It's easy for us to say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. It's easy for us to say, well, I have faith. It's easy for us to say that God is good. It's easy for us on Sunday morning to sing a song. But in the book of James, the Bible tells us that God tells us. Our faith is demonstrated, not necessarily by our singing or our loud profession, but by our practical acts of obedience and generosity. Listen to what James says in James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, it's dead, being by itself. You know what he's saying? He's saying if we say we believe and yet cannot practice that by faithful and practical generosity to brothers and sisters in need, then our faith, faith is worthless. What use is it? There are times in the body of Christ that God makes us aware of, of needs. There are times even in the context of the community that God makes us aware of needs. And in that moment, God is putting that before us for a reason. And we have then the opportunity, but we also then have the decision. We can join God and be obedient and demonstrate our faith in God, or we can be stingy and we can demonstrate disobedience to God. Galatians 6 verse 10 says it this way. So while we have opportunity, by the way, you will not always have opportunity. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Friend or enemy. Let us do good to all people. 
Republican or Democrat? Let us do good to all people. Cowboys or Washington football team? Let us do good to all people. Regardless of race. Regardless of background. Regardless of preferences. Let us do good to all people. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. God makes you aware of needs. Don't pass it along and close your eye and act like you don't see it. No, be faithful to do what you can for the glory of God and the good of others. So, Pastor, I'm not sure then. I, I don't know of any specific needs. Well, get involved in the lives of people. You'll discover them. Pastor, I'm not sure of anything right now, but God's blessed me in some way. Here's what you do. You be faithful to give generously to the work of the Lord so they can continue to meet those needs. I, I'm not being rude when I say this, but literally as I stand before you and preach right now, right this very moment, I'm aware of a brother in Christ in this church body. He earned his family's income by traveling on the road. He drives, but because of a recent surgery, he can't be on the road for at least another month. And that means there'll be no income for the next month. And they're praying through, what does this look like at the end of the month? We don't know. We don't know what we're gonna have to forfeit. We don't know what we're gonna lose in that process. Another family in this church, I know a business person who's this year, there were many aspirations and many things they were thinking of. And at this point, there's a lot of uncertainty about what that's gonna look like at the end of the year because it's been a rough year. There's another gentleman right here in this church who's gone through some pretty intense medical treatments. And as a result of that, the bills are coming in and they're coming in and they're coming. There's needs all around us. The question is, what are we willing to give and do for the glory of God and for the good of others? Acts chapter two. Let me close with these verses of scripture and we'll be done. These verses are so powerful because it paints for us the beautiful picture of what God does when we generously and sacrificially give for the glory of God and the good of others. The verses are wrong on the screen, I believe, so go ahead and take them off. I gave you the wrong reference earlier this week. My bad. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. Listen to what happened in the early church. The Bible says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Listen to this. And all those who had believed, brothers and sisters, were together and had all things in common. Listen to their generosity and concern for each other. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. This is not by manipulation. This is not the church forcing. This is out of a love for God and a love for one another. They're generously giving. Here's the result, verse 46. Day by day, they continued with one mind in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And listen, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. In other words... They were devoted to one another in brotherly love. And it demonstrated that in the way that they thought about each other, the way they served one another, the way they prayed for one another, and even the way they practiced generosity towards one another. You say, Pastor Matthew, what are you saying? I'm saying this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ devoted himself to us when he gave his life on the cross for our sins. The question for us then is twofold. The first question is this. Have you devoted your life to Jesus Christ? Have you believed in him as Lord and Savior and surrendered your life completely to him? Have you devoted your life to Jesus? 
This morning, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how good your grandparents were. It doesn't matter what your upbringing was. If you've not devoted your life to Christ, in the end, when you stand before God in judgment, you'll be dismissed and rejected. I want to encourage you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But if you have made that decision, you've devoted your life to Christ, there's a second calling, isn't there? And that is, out of love for Jesus and in living for him, we're called to devote ourselves to one another. Is there a way you need to grow in that today? My hope and prayer is that as we walk with Jesus and he works his life, his eternal life in and through our lives, I pray that we will model him well to the world around us. But that needs to happen in our serving, our thinking, our praying, and our giving. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have together. Lord, this message is so simple, and yet it is so challenging because we know that we so easily can give in to our flesh. We so much battle with our flesh, and at times want to just give in to our human nature where we do what we want to do. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be humble before you. I pray in Jesus' name that we will have devoted our life to Christ and God, that out of that devotion, we'd also devote ourselves to one another. And uh, may you have your way in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.